Welcome to the Master Passive Income Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, get financial independence by investing in real estate so you never, ever have to work a job again. Today, we're talking all about the small and mighty investor. You don't have to have this huge portfolio of thousands and thousands of properties if you don't really want to. Now, if you do, absolutely, but you can absolutely become financially independent, quit that just overbroke job, that J-O-B, if you had a small and mighty portfolio. And today we're bringing on a fantastic expert who's gonna share with us how we can do it as well. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about investing in real estate with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey, what's going on? Super blessed as always to have you here on the show. Today, I'm super pumped. I'm bringing on a friend of mine, and he's a fantastic real estate investor. He's going to talk to us about how we don't have to have these huge portfolios of properties where we have thousands and thousands of properties. And I'll tell you this. So I've interviewed a number of people um, on my other podcast, Successful Unemployed, with they are multifamily investors. Now, I'm, it's going to sound like I'm knocking or you know getting down on multifamily investors. And I kind of can be, it sounds like I am, but at the same time, it's a business model that they go after and, and it works well for them. So let me give you an example of what I'm meaning. So I was interviewing a lady who invests on multifamily and I was asking her, okay, you have, let's say 400 units. I think it was three or 400 units that she had. And I said, how much passive income do you make from those 400 units? You know, she is a the capital raiser, that's what a lot of these multifamily, in fact, a lot of these podcasts that are coming out nowadays, you'll see the word capital in them. And the word capital means they're trying to raise money. And they're raising money for the multifamily deals that they are investing in. Basically, there's an operator that buys the property, and there's somebody that gathers the money. That's the salesman to try to get other investors to invest their money. And that person, that capital raiser, gets a portion of that deal for nothing. I would say nothing. That's literally, sorry, it's not nothing. They are working hard to get investors, but no money out of their pocket. That's what I mean by nothing. So there's no money out of their pocket into these deals, which is really good. Don't get me wrong. It's a great deal for people who want passive investing where they make a lot less in income, but they literally don't have to worry about the property. Now, the downside about this is I was talking to that capital raiser. I said, okay, you have three, 400 units. How much money do you make in passive income from those properties? And she said, well, I can't quit my job. You know, even where I have all these, you know, even with all those properties, three or 400 units, it's not enough. It's not like over $5,000 a month or $10,000 a month or $20,000 a month in passive income. It sounds like it's a lot, you know, 400 units. It sounds great, but not necessarily great because it's not that much money. A lot of money is going to the operators, the ones that are running the property, the people that are managing the property, the people that are managing all the money and all that, they get a lot of the cuts. And eventually the passive income person, they don't get nearly as much. Um, so with that, I'll give you a quick example of what I did. Recently, I invested $30,000 into a multifamily property. Well, every three months, I get a return, I get money back, basically a dividend, I still own the property, but I get my share. And this last month, 
three months, sorry, it was a three month quarterly distribution, I got $672. And so that basically means for my $30,000 investment, I get $200 a month back in distributions back to me. Now it's not bad, don't get me wrong, that's definitely not bad at all. But $30,000, what can I do with that $30,000 outside of investing in this one property? How about I invest it in my own property? I use that $30,000 as a down payment. I make so much more money on top of that with equity capture, market appreciation, which you do get a little bit of that market appreciation with the multifamily. I'm not going to get into it. There's so many more. This is not a multifamily episode, so I apologize for getting into the weeds a little bit. These people that have multifamily deals that they say 3,000 units or 2,000 units or even 500 units, it's not, a, it's not necessarily enough for them to become financially independent and be able to rely on these properties. Plus, here's a big downside about those. You have to exit in three to five years from every property. So you invest money and then three to five years, like that $30,000 I invested in five years from when the time I invested, they want to sell and then get all my money back because they want to do it all over again because that's how they make their money. And the takeaway from that is it is not always necessary to be a huge, huge investor, thousands of properties. It is completely fine to be a small but mighty investor. A lot of people ask me, well, Dustin, how many properties do you have? Well, I have 30 plus properties. I mean, it's, it's going really well, plus all the other things I invest in and five other businesses because I have more time in my life to be able to build businesses. But with these, I have literally all my expenses paid for and lots of extra money coming in to invest in more properties. And people ask, well, Dustin, why don't you just keep growing and keep growing? I'm like, well, I love hanging out with my family. I could just keep putting my nose to the grindstone. Back when I was like, you know, 28, 29, 30, I was working really, really hard because I wanted to quit my job. And now I don't have to work as hard. Now I could just have a podcast and talk to great people like you and as well as I love being with my family, I love traveling, and I love everything that my, uh, I guess, wealth, the financial independence brings from my properties. So it's great that I have a small but mighty portfolio of properties. Majority of them are paid off, have lots of great insurance on them, so they're taken care of very well. They make me a lot of money. Now today, I'm bringing on a fantastic expert, a friend of mine. He is just really a fantastic dude and all around, number one, really great guy. And on top of that, a fantastic real estate investor. He's written a couple books. He is big in the Bigger Pocket space. In fact, both of his books have been published and pushed out by Bigger Pockets. Fantastic guy. I have my friend Chad Carson from the Real Estate Investing with Chad Carson podcast coming on, and he's going to show us how becoming a small but mighty investor is absolutely fantastic. All right, here we go. Chad Carson, thank you so much for being on the show. It is great to be here, Dustin. Thank you for having me and always enjoy talking to you. So I'm glad we get to do it on the show. Oh, totally. And one thing I, I really appreciate about you is you love, just like I do, to help other people. And with us in our own investing, now it's fantastic. We don't need to work. We're successfully unemployed, uh, but we have extra time and we could just keep plowing away at building our businesses. But I found just like you, and I love um, your podcast, Real Estate Investing with Coach Carson. Um, like I just feel more like a coach or more like just a teacher. I really love doing that. And don't get me wrong. I love investing as well, but I love also the fact that I get to help people achieve that as well. So Chad, 
it's been a little while since you've been on the show. I'll definitely put in the description with the last episode so people can go back and listen more about you. But talk to us a little about what you've been up to. And you just went, came back from being 12 months living in Spain for 12 months which is with your entire family, which is fantastic. But let's catch up. How are you doing and how is your business doing? Yeah, well, thank you. It's we just as you mentioned, we just like two days ago moved back into our house in Clemson, South Carolina. So that's where our home base is, but and that's where our rental properties are as well. But kind of our big thing, my wife is a Spanish teacher and an English teacher. And when we first met, like on our first date 17 years ago, however long, however, however long it's been, we were longer than that now, actually. We were talking about traveling and living abroad and, and taking eventually we went up family, doing that as well. So Part of our real estate investing journey has been taking longer trips, not just like a vacation for a couple of weeks, but like actually living in a new place. So we just spent a year in Granada, Spain. So in Southern Spain and our kids went to school there and learned how to speak again. And uh, we've done the same thing back in 2017 and 18. We lived 17 months in Ecuador and Cuenca, Ecuador. And so those those are kind of our why. That's, that's what our family is all about. We really enjoy that, living in different cultures. In real estate investing, you know, we've kind of worked it backwards from that. So when I started, I was 21 years ago, I got out of college and, you know, had a, I didn't have any debt, which was nice. I, I got a college scholarship to play football at Clemson University, go Tigers. And, but I, I didn't have a lot of capital at that point. And so I just kind of got into the business thinking I would flip houses and wholesale houses. And that's how I made a living. But eventually I really came to love properties. Those are the, you know, the, the other stuff was kind of just making a living. Whereas buying whole rental properties were amazing because you could, it's like you plant these seeds, these seeds would grow, and then you live off the rental income, which doesn't come day one, like, in, like a tree, a fruit tree doesn't produce fruit day one. But eventually, once it starts, really, really, you get it stabilized, and you get a good property with good tenants, then you can live off of it. And the, the cool thing, and kind of going back to our trips is we've, you know, once you get it stabilized and managed and hit some systems and have a good team, two hours per week or so is kind of what I've been typically spending on my property management, owning the rental side of the business. So, so that's kind of the big picture. That's what my real estate journey has looked like. Lots of, lots of ups and downs and mistakes along the way as well. But that's, that's my journey and my kind of motivation for doing what you do of sharing with the podcast and the book I wrote is to help other people do that. Like, I don't necessarily want to own a thousand units either. I would rather have like tens of thousands of people owning a few properties themselves. And then all of us having more time, more freedom, more flexibility to, to do what matters. That's sort of the, that's the theme of my show, uh, my, my why, my motivation and real estate is just a really amazing tool to help people do that. I, I love it. And I completely agree. Cause imagine if you're working for somebody else and usually if you're working a full-time job, it's 40 hours a week and sometimes more 50, 60, 70 hours. I mean, it can get a lot of time, but if you had that time back in your life, so everybody listening, if you realize all that time you're spending for somebody else, instead you spent it building your own business, and then you get to hopefully financial freedom where you have your properties making you money. Like Chad, like you said, work a couple hours a week at most on your properties. And with that, you're making money. Then you have all this extra time with extra time. And that's the one commodity we all spend, but never make any more. We can't earn, we can't make, we can't do it. We just constantly spend time. With that, if we could then use it to help other people and serve other people. So that's why I think you and I are friends is because we, we have that vision. We love that. Plus, we're also investors as well. And we travel. There's so many great things. And I play football, too. Um, and so, yeah, it's just it's so cool uh, hanging out with you again. Now, uh, chat with your traveling, 
you also like people might be thinking, well, you have to have thousands of units to be able to travel the world and, you know, live someplace for 12 months. But I love the idea of the book that you wrote. You've actually written a couple books. Um, and this one's produced by Bigger Pockets. And we're going to have a promo code for everybody if you want to get 10% off that. So we'll give that to you um, in just a little bit. You could check in the link in the description as well. Uh, but with your book that you wrote about being a small and mighty investor, basically, you don't need to be this huge empire magnet, mo- uh, was it mogul, real estate mogul, in order to have the life that you want. You can start small. You can actually be small. But I like how you engineered your life almost backwards. Like, this is what I want. Let me build my uh, business and income that way. So talk to us about the idea behind this uh, small but mighty investor. Yeah, so I want to give a definition definition of what that means first. What, what is a small and mighty investor? And I'll give you a couple of examples. The, the definition is basically that instead of, you might have heard you know, in the Instagram or in the social media world, there's a lot of people talking about 10Xing and going big and, and like success equals getting bigger and going faster and doing more. And like, there's nothing wrong with growth. Like I'm all about getting better and growing. But the idea of a small, mighty investor is that we work it backwards from the lifestyle that we just talked about and saying, like, what, how much time do you want? You want a time to do this. You want a time to spend with your family, time to travel, time to do this job that doesn't pay as much, but it's really exciting to you. And so you work it backwards from that and say, what are the least number of properties that I would need to produce the income I need to have that lifestyle? So it's about the least. It's about simplifying. It's about having the minimum amount. Now that could mean like if you have really high aspirations for a, a, a lot of money in your life, which is, I'm not judging, that's cool too, then you might have a lot more properties. But the idea is to have the minimum instead of the maximum, because once you start growing and getting a lot, and this has been my experience, then it complicates your life. You have more moving parts, you have more systems, you have more people to manage. And that's not saying you couldn't manage all those people. There are people who own big corporations and do all that. But my experience has been the people I've known in my life, the mentors who had the most peace of mind, the most space in their life, the most relaxation, uh, enjoying their life the most, had the smallest, simplest businesses, uh, the smallest, simplest real estate portfolios. So that really struck me. And I, I, I learned that the hard way because I got when I, my first three to four years in business, I went to seminars and was inspired by people who were going big and flipping 50 houses a year, buying 100 units at a time. And I was like, I want to do that too. But I ran into 2007, 8, and 9, the Great Recession, and uh, kind of had to... And I want to pause for a quick second and share that, honestly, I really want you to invest in real estate. Now, my new goal is to help 1 million people invest in real estate. So two things I would ask from you. Number one, if you get anything out of this episode, please share it with somebody else. Just say, hey, you know, check out Dustin and Master Passive Income. He really wants to help a million people to invest in real estate. That's number one. Number two, I want to get you to invest in real estate get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll literally give you my course, show you how to find an area of the country to invest, how to build the business first. You know, I always talk about that and how to find the right properties, how to make sure you're getting experts to do the work for you and scale the business to where you're making $250 or more in passive income, scale it to quit your job, I'll literally get to you or go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. Obviously, it'll be in the description, but I really, really want you to invest in real estate because the more that actual normal everyday people own real estate that are good landlords, the better everybody's life gets. Hold on by the skin of my teeth and we survived, but I learned about the risk of that. I learned about the the alternatives that you could do. And I also just learned that you don't need that many, like with a smaller number you, if you have a simple conservative portfolio, maybe even pay them off one of these days, maybe not, not up front, but like, you know, 
15 years, 10 years down the road, having a simple low risk portfolio could actually be just as profitable, but going back to the time, having a lot more time, a lot less hassle and risk as well. With that, I wholeheartedly agree. And I love the idea of figuring out what is the minimum amount of properties that you need. For me, when I was talking to my wife, when I was working that job, same as most people. And with that, I started thinking, well, how much do we spend every single month? Like, what are our expenses every single month? And then now I, I do remember my wife specific, the number like with mortgage, insurance, food, all that sort of stuff. It was $4,200. Like that's what we need in order to pay for all of our bills. And for me, I was always shooting for $250 a month in passive income from every property. Well, $250 a month, if you just multiply that out, you just get 10 properties, that's $2,500 a month. 20 properties is $5,000 a month. And I was like, oh my goodness, I only use 20 properties and then I don't have to work for somebody else. How amazing is that? And just getting that perspective. And I love, and we, we're going to touch on all this because there's so many other things that you said in there that's terrific, like being able to pay off your mortgages. Most of my properties are paid off, which is amazing because that's just all passive income coming in. Okay. So Chad, if somebody wants to get in the, let's say they already have one or two properties and they're a mom and pop type of property company, uh, you know, having a couple properties, but at the same time, they're knowing they want more freedom. They want to be able to go live for 12 months or, you know, a couple of years someplace else or move wherever they want. How do they start by changing their mindset or building a business or making it so that it can be much more automatic as opposed to being a mom and pop where they're doing everything in their business? Yeah. So if you're in that situation where you're doing everything, just know that we've all been there. I know Dustin's been there. I've been there. Like you, you, I always tell people that real estate is an amazing business model because it starts off kind of like a venture capital startup, like, you know, Silicon Valley, you always hear about people when they start a company, they spend a ton of time doing it. And even if you're doing this part-time, you're going to spend more time up front, learning how to buy a property, building your team, talking to people about financing, making mistakes. Like that's just, that's what we do, right? When we're learning something, we, it takes more time. I, I think about it like a psychological down payment. Like you've got to put that down payment in. That's, your, that's how you pay your dues along with your money. And But the, the cool thing about real estate is it starts like a startup, but it ends like a passive blue chip stock. Like, so in the end, if, if you do, if you're smart about the properties you buy, if you're smart about the financing, then it can be much more passive. Now it doesn't happen automatically. And so here are a couple of tips that have been really helpful for me, kind of things to think about. One is that the property you choose determines the type of tenant you get in your property. So the, the property you choose, if you, I've, I've owned properties that are the lowest price properties that I don't fix up as well as I probably should. It's a really old property. And believe it or not, because I didn't put as much energy and money into that property, it attracted a tenant who didn't pay me on time or who moved more often or whatever the case might be. I've owned other properties that were, you know, I upgraded the location a little bit or I upgraded the property itself, even in a lower price location. I actually fixed the property up nicely like I should have. And I attract, believe it or not, I attracted better tenants because I gave more. I served my tenant better. And so if you wanna, if you wanna get tenants who are stay a long time, who pay on time, who are more responsible, then you first, my belief is that first and foremost, you got to take responsibility as a landlord to buy the properties, to treat them well, to invest in those properties, not shortchange them. And then you'll attract tenants who will manage themselves for the most part. Like, yes, you have to fix a heating air if it goes out or you have to do, there's some responsibilities you have, but 
the tenants can, they can do a lot of the day-to-day work. And if a tenant stays for five or 10 years, like they have in some of my houses, then that's a lot less maintenance, a lot less work that you have to do by having that long-term tenant. So that's like part one is just thinking about the houses you buy. And I've over the years, I've had to sell off some of the properties that were not quite as good of long-term properties. And I call that like pruning the tree. Like if you're a gardener, you prune back the bad branches so that the good branches have room to grow and energy to grow. So that's that's been one thing we've done. The other thing is building systems and, and team around you. So I have property managers for 90% of the properties we have and just find being very careful and selective about who you choose to be a property manager in my case has been really helpful because I depend on them. I lean on them when I'm in Spain, having properties back in the US, then they're, they're the front lines. They're doing a lot of the work. Yes, they text me, hey, we have to spend a thousand bucks to fix this. Is that okay? My answer is yes, or ask a question, whatever the case might be. But those team members are number one and then having systems behind them. So whether it's a system, like a systems is basically a process, a checklist. So I have a lot of checklists. If I'm doing bookkeeping, here's the 10 steps I do. If I'm reconciling my bank account, here's the step I do. If I'm get, you know talking to my property manager, here's the things I check on with them every week. So it's like, you know, an airplane pilot has a checklist when they, when they check, when they take off with an airplane, a doctor doing surgery has a checklist when they do surgery on your shoulder. Why wouldn't you have that as a real estate investor? And so I, I, I encourage you and your listeners to have, you know, a, a system and checklists. And if you don't have those right away, this is why you listen to a podcast of other people who are doing it. You can borrow their systems. You can borrow their checklists. You can do it the way they do it. And those things combined, good quality properties that attract good tenants, a team around you and systems is what eventually leads to more of a two-hour work week, having more of your free time so that you don't have to do all of those details all the time. How do you scale your business? Let's say we do create uh, a, a business, we have a certain area of the country they're investing in. We have a, a good city, maybe even one or two different cities that we like to invest in. Uh, a lot of people always be, cons- they're mostly concerned about financing. Number one, how to find the right properties and not lose money, of course. But then how do we actually buy them? People love to, uh, th- that's what they ask me the most of, like, how do I finance it? So how do you scale? If you're really small, but mighty, where you have, like, I needed 20 properties. Some people might need 15. Some people might need 30, however however it takes. But how do you make sure that you can finance these properties to scale them up? Yeah, there's, there's, I look at financing like a toolbox. And so when you're a new investor, you might have one tool. Yeah, You might buy one rental property, put 20% down and use a conventional loan because you have a good job and good credit. That's a, that's a tool. That's like, you know, let's call that your, your hammer. You know, like the hammer works well. But then over time, if you want to expand and scale, you got to think about different tools in your toolbox because sometimes the tool runs out. Like you can't use that tool anymore. Maybe the, the conventional lender says you can't get any more loans for whatever reason that cut you off. Or maybe you find out like, we're in 2023 right now, maybe the conventional interest rates are a lot higher than what I want to pay. And so some other tools that I've used in my toolbox, and these are, if you're, if you're just, the first time you've heard of these or used them, you know, just put a, you know, make a, make a note to go back and let, study these more and learn more. But I, I've used things like private money. So I had uh, my, but most of my deals that I've purchased over the years, pretty much by necessity, because when I first started, I didn't have a W-2 income. I didn't have any, uh, I, didn't, I had some credit, but I, I was a 23-year-old kid, basically, and I had to go out and buy properties. So I went to individuals who loaned me money 
as an individual, or I learned a little trick where you can go to individuals who have retirement accounts and they might have money in an old 401k from their job. And I taught them how to, to move some of that money to a self-directed retirement account. So there's a special custodians who can hold some or all of their retirement money and they can make loans to you that you can buy real estate with. So originally I paid 10% interest to these lenders in my early days. And then eventually I said, I can't pay 10% interest and in own rental properties. That's a pretty high interest rate. How about 6%? And so I negotiate after I built some credibility with them. I've started over the years, I had a handful of people that I made payments to every single month. This was their retirement income. They lived off of this income. They paid for groceries and they told their friends about it. And so that that private money is a an alternative tool. It's not you can't step into the bank and say, uh, hey, where's the private money? Like you have to actually go meet people and network and talk to people. But man, it's an amazing tool. Once you get a couple of people who start loaning you the money, um, then you have that relationship with them and you can partner with them. You can do private loans. There's lots of different kind of approaches you can take. But I would say those are kind of like the polar opposites. You have private money, very personal one-on-one. Um, bank loans or another, but then even within the bank world, there's a whole lot of different products. There's commercial loan products. There's uh, a new product called DSCR loans, debt service coverage ratio loans that are primarily for investors. And they look at the income on the property and they're not necessarily going to cut you off at five properties or 10 properties because um, your personal income is used up. They look at the income for the property um, instead of your personal income. And so a lot of investors use that once they outgrow that kind of conventional loans. So those are just a few. Those are three three examples: conventional loans, DSCR, and uh, private loans. But man, there's there's so many more that I've used: seller financing, lease options, um, subject to the mortgage, a whole number of them that you can study and learn about if you're really serious about scaling and doing more. I personally counted fourteen. No, it was a 15, 15 different ways of getting financing that I personally used. Like it could, like you said, even I've used uh, portfolio loans and bundled loans. I even used a signature loan. I went to a bank and I said, hey, can I just sign my name on just an unsecured line of credit and you give me money? Like, yeah, I've even used credit cards. So there's so many different ways. Now, these are advanced strategies. You got to make sure you're doing it right so you're not losing money. But with that, we got to make sure that these are all tools that we can use for any deal. Because a lot of students come to me and say, hey, Dustin, I have this amount of money. Should I buy, should I, should I use it for a down payment or should I use it for a burr strategy? Or should I, they always have these ors. I'm like, it doesn't, it's not an or. Just like you said, Chad, these are tools in your tool belt that whatever deal comes along, you figure out a way to make it work. So I love that. Now you said something I definitely want to touch on is paying off debt. Well, a lot of people, there's, well, there's two different main different camps, Dave Ramsey people and the Robert Kiyosaki people, you know, Dave Ramsey people never have debt, don't ever have debt. Kiyosaki, I have much more leans towards the Kiyosaki where we use debt to make us money. But at the same time, I also have a wife. So I'm more Kiyosaki, use debt, make money, love it. Absolutely love it. My wife is definitely the Dave Ramsey type where she says, we don't want debt. And so I was blessed to be able to build up my business with loans. But then when I was about ready to quit my job, my wife said, hey, we have a lot of loans and we have some extra money. Why don't we pay off some of those loans? And I said, but then I can't buy more properties. Why would I do that? And she said, well, if you're going to quit. We need to make sure our family's taken care of. Get these loans taken out. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So that's what I did. Pay, started paying off. And it, what was amazing was I made so much more money when those loans were paid off because I had more passive income. So talk to me about how, how and when should we look at 
paying off our loans to increase our passive income, maybe free up a slot of a mortgage so we can buy another property and all that. Well, it sounds like you have a ninja wise wife. You know, she's a real estate ninja behind the scenes there, understanding kind of the the advanced strategies. But I, so I, I want to give people a context for this because I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like I lean a little bit more towards the Kiyosaki camp of saying debt is a good good debt can be a, a tool, it can be something to use. But I want to give us just an idea here is that as a real estate investor, different tools are going to make sense at different times of your career, like different stages of your career. And in fact, I'm going to simplify it a little bit, but say, let's just say you have three stages as a rental property investor. The first stage is a starter. And this is going to be like your first one, two, three, four deals where your whole goal as a starter is just to get in the game. You're just trying to get started. You, you don't know what you don't know. You just got to get a deal or two under your belt. And you're going to have the, the like real life university when you go to buy those first two properties because you're going to learn so much. You're going to build relationships. So that's like your whole objective, just to get in the game as a starter. That's part one. But then as you kind of get your, those deals under your belt, you're then going to move into the stage called a wealth builder stage. And the whole objective of a wealth builder is turning whatever capital you have, whether that's a dollar or $50,000, $100,000, turning that into a lot more than you have right now. So let's, let's just say a million dollars or a half a million dollars or $1.5 million. Like that's possible. Real estate is a, an amazing tool. And that's where leverage, both in both the starter and the wealth builder stage, leverage is really important. Now you can do it as Dave Ramsey does it. You could pay cash for properties and then recycle that cash and buy it. I've, I've known people who've done it. I've actually done an experiment in my retirement account where I paid cash for everything. I'd never got a loan on it. And I've, I've, my property, that, that account has grown at 14% per year very well without ever using any debt. So it's possible, right? You don't have to go that route. It takes a little bit longer to get started. But most people, and I think it's reasonable if you follow what Dustin teaches and a lot of the stuff I teach in the book about using smart financing, then you're gonna, it's going to help you grow. It's going to turn that 100000 bucks into a million dollars in a much shorter period of time. So that's why all those tools are important. But here's the difference, because like, there's a stage three, and I think this is what your wife was getting at. And my wife has actually was a, had a very similar sentiment, is that at some point, it might be like an intermediate milestone. It might be your final milestone before you go into financial independence. It makes sense to not just measure success by return on investment and growth, because that's what our metric is as a wealth builder and even as a starter. Like number one, grow, grow, grow. I don't have enough money. I need more money. But at some point when you have enough money and you're ready to use a poker metaphor to take some chips off the table, it makes sense to, yes, growth is still important, but let's also prioritize reducing our risk because having debt, as wonderful as it is, and as much as it helps you grow, if we were to get in another Great Depression, if we had a long recession, if you lost you know, some income, if you had a bad health scare, it's the only way I've seen people go out of business in real estate is because of debt. I know there's a lot of other things that could happen, but debt is, is the big risk. So I have a healthy respect for it. And so my, my philosophy is at some point, take some chips off the table and start paying off, maybe not all of your debt, but start paying off some of your debt once you've had some success. And so this is what my business partner and I did. And we looked at it in a very simple scenario, like that the third stage that I'm talking about here, you can call it like an ender stage or a harvesting phase. I don't like the word end because it's, you're not really ending your career, but you're starting to harvest your wealth and starting to live off of it, either in part like you were with trying to cover you know, $4,900 a month, or maybe you're just trying to cover like your basic you know, $1,000, expenses. But anytime you hit that milestone, you might look at one of your loans like I did, and we had a $100,000 loan that used to be $180,000, but we had been paying it down for five, 10 years. And that $1,000 loan had a $1,000 or $100,000 loan had a $1,000 per month payment. 
So $1,000 per month is $12,000 per year. And when we pay that $100,000 loan off, because we saved up some money to pay it off, and instead of buying another property, we generated a $12,000 cash return by paying that loan off. We freed up cash. So you can kind of, I mean, you, there's more math to that, but you're, you're looking at, you can look at it like a cash on cash return of about 12%. And so if your goal is to stack cash flow and pay for your lifestyle, I have never found another investment where I can reduce my risk, where I can increase my cash flow, and I can simplify my life by not having to buy more properties that have more tenants, that have more things that can break than a $12,000 free cash flow investment. And so that's kind of the idea is that you can do that in part of your properties, maybe, maybe more or all of them. But eventually you can meet that number we talked about earlier, whether it's 5,000 bucks a month, 10,000 bucks a month, you can do it with leveraged properties, 250 bucks a month at a time, like you're talking about, which I think is an awesome place to start. But you can also have fewer properties. Maybe you can have 10 properties paid off that each produce $10,000 or $1,000 per month. And you wouldn't, you'd only need 10 of them. You could sell off part of those 20 properties, use the profits to pay off the other 10 and have a, an even simpler scenario. And so that's, that's the idea I want to just plant in people's heads is that you have the starter, wealth builder, the ender harvester phase. And when you start getting like the tinges or your spouse gives you like the feedback, like, Hey, I think we're kind of need to take some chips off the table. Then paying off some debt could be a super smart thing to do. I think there's two, two huge points. Number one, uh, Dave Ramsey, he actually went bankrupt because he had so much debt and that's why he, you know, and then he started teaching people how to get out of debt and all that sort of stuff, but he did it wrong. He did it the wrong way. And so most people back in 2008, I wasn't investing for appreciation. In fact, uh, all the gurus were saying, hey, it's you know 2006 when I first started investing. Oh, you're, you're going to get appreciation. Just get like 20 bucks or 50 bucks a month in passive income. I was like, that's not enough money for me to eat off of. Like, I want to be able to quit my job. So that was a big one was I did not go after appreciation and they get way over leveraged. I want to cash flow. So I need, I bought lower priced homes, but I love um, the other, other idea is like when you're harvesting, when you're taking the chips off the table, it's it, people keep asking me, well, Dustin, how many properties are you buying now? Are you buying a lot? I'm like, not really. I love helping people. I buy a deal when it comes up, but it's not, it's not back when I only had like, let's say 10 properties. I was buying as many as I could. Now I'm like, I'm pretty well set. I don't need a ton. I'll buy them when they come. Uh, but with that, I, I, there's one part that I love when you're, when you're talking about the small mindset as opposed to like a big big institutional company you know like the the how we as small minded investors we take care of people more in fact i believe that everything in life is about people not about anything else in fact real estate is not about properties it's about people business is not about a product it's about people life isn't about experiences it's about the people that you're with and so what i love is that us as small investors, small but mighty investors, say 30, 40, 50 properties, maybe more or less whatever's big or small and tight for you to where you are feeling very financially secure, you're stable and all that sort of stuff. But we can take care of the people that are in our properties much better than these big institutions. That's why I love helping as many people as I can to invest in real estate because we can help everybody out, not just us to have financial independence, which is great, but also the people that we're borrowing money from, like our private money lenders, we're giving them a good return on their money. But at the same time, even the people living in our properties, having good properties that people, I wouldn't say they're like, oh, this is the best house ever. But no, they're great properties that are taken care of and rents are pretty adequate. I like to personally keep it just a little lower because I love them to stay. I don't want them to leave. I wanted to stay for 20 years. But talk to me about the mindset about a small investor 
uh, that small but mighty is more focused on how we can care for more people. Yeah. When I first got into this business, probably like a lot of people, it was more about, Hey, I want to build wealth. I want to make money. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I, I like that. But one of the, I think one of the beautiful compensations in life, I think uh, Emerson or somebody said this is that if you make your mission, helping other people and serving other people, you can't help but be helped and served yourself. Like that's, it's just this circle. It's just a natural flow of, of whatever you want to call it in the universe. And the, so I got into the real estate wanting to make money, but first and foremost, I learned, like I talked about earlier, if you buy a quality property, you fix it up well, you treat your tenants well, that's going to come back to you. Like you treat them well, they treat you well. And I, I get kind of fired up when people, you know, a lot of the Twitter universe and the social media is all about landlord versus tenant, landlord versus tenant. And I'm sure there's, you know, there's, there's extremes there. There's landlords who treat their tenants really poorly. There's tenants who treat their landlords really poorly. But even during COVID, I, my experience was we had one tenant who stopped paying during COVID, during all that. One tenant. And I, at the same time, I was reading- Same here. I, was, I read all these Wall Street Journal headlines and about, oh, 50% of tenants aren't paying. And I'm like, really? Like, maybe I'm in a, in a bubble here. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Well, with that, also, you and I know a lot of other investors too. I just want to quickly touch on that because remember your point. Please. Hopefully, you're not going to lose your point. No, you're but good. I didn't have anybody. One person said, well, I'm my boss is talking about possible layoffs, but I didn't have any out of all my properties. All the students that I have, nobody had any issues. All the other investors that I know, maybe one or two people had like, or, uh, uh uh, problems with tenants. But with that, um, we were able to take care of them as well. But uh, that that was an interesting thing that I absolutely was like, everybody's telling me that 50% of the people aren't going to be paying the rent. I didn't see that. But what are your thoughts with that? And then how we can take care of the ones that do have problems? Yeah. I mean, my, to me, that confirmed a lot of my trust in humanity. <laughs> like, like, yes, there's some bad apples out there, but you know, people were getting st stimulus and people were losing their jobs. Yes, that happened, but people want a place to live. Like people respected the fact that they had a place to live and they didn't want to mess that up. Like that's, that's the case with most people. And, and so I, 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 I want to confirm that because your, your whole original question was about how do you, how do you serve people, but also how do you like as small and mighty investors, what do we, what's the role we play? And so I, when, when I started buying properties, I'm owning, trying to produce cash flow, and building wealth, but I also started getting involved in my community. I live in the, some people invest long distance. I actually live in the community where I invest. And so I bump into my tenants in the grocery store. I see them locally. I also started paying attention to what's happening with my city council and what's going on. So I, I so I started volunteering in my community because I, I care about what's going on. And I started volunteering. In fact, I went to some meetings where we were trying to do the 20-year plan for the city. And I learned about some things going on. For example, our little small town, uh, it's an old, you know, it was built in the 1940s. It probably had a thousand people in the town. It's a university town, Clemson, South Carolina, but it's all built around automobiles. And so here we are like a little small town. Why can't I push my kid in a stroller to the park without getting run over by a car? Like there's no, nowhere sidewalks or crosswalks. And so I started getting involved in, in that question. Like, how come we can't fix that? And we started a nonprofit to build a network of walking and biking trails in our community. And so that's just one example. Like that was important to me. That was something that I noticed because I was just volunteering and studying it. And, you know, that was 2014, 15. We're in 2023. We've raised three or four million dollars to build new new trails in town. Our city council's all on board. That, that's just a, that's a specific example, but I found that to be a consistent theme with tons of small and mighty investors I know because they care about their community. Like they care about what's going on. 
I've rarely heard that kind of thing from a Wall Street institutional investor who owns 10,000 units. That's that, that you're, the tenants are just a number on the paper. The town is just a name on a piece of paper on a spreadsheet. It, it's a totally different approach. And so, I, so if you're, uh, so we're, we're probably most of you are small, mighty investors listening to this. I just want to confirm that as a, as a probably it could seem like an auxiliary benefit, but it could become the main benefit of you investing in real estate because you could connect with the people in your in your houses. You could connect with the town where you're investing, and it's become the most fulfilling, satisfying part about being a real estate investor for me is that human real connection with a, with people, with a community. And it's one of the most satisfying things that you can imagine is that, that virtuous circle of, of helping one another. Be, and I like small towns, like I invest in a small town and I found small invest, investors often go to the big cities, but then they go to the suburbs. I call them like little satellite cities. And you find like, I, I grew up in Noonan, Georgia. So Atlanta's the, like the sun Noonan, Georgia is 30 miles outside of Atlanta. It's got its little own little gravity. It's got its own little town center. And if you find little towns like Noonan, Georgia, Clemson, South Carolina, which are, they are near big cities with big economic hubs, but they have their own little quality of life, their own little walkable communities. Those are the places I found to be the best investing locations. And you can make a living as a small and mighty investor without competing with all the big institutional investors. Chad, is there any other main points in the book because everybody you definitely need to get the book to uh, to really learn how to become a small and mighty investor but is there any other main points that we might have missed that we really need to catch on to yeah so we've talked about financing we've talked about you know the, the philosophy of a small and mighty investor but I, I would just say that this is a long journey like even if it's a five-year journey you can get to financial independence financial freedom a lot faster than you think like some people work 50 years at a job and don't have much to show for it as a small and mighty investor, you can work for five, 15 years and build an incredible you know, uh, legacy. You're gonna have, you can have this life that you didn't think you could have, but it's going to take some grinding along the way. So I, I don't want to like sugarcoat every bit of it, and, but the grind can be one property at a time. It doesn't have to be like you're lighting the world on fire, doing a, you know, you're going to just move forward, move forward. And in the book, I call this kind of the tortoise mentality. This is Aesop's old fable that the tortoise and the hare were racing, you know, and it seems like the hare is winning because the hare seems faster because they put 10 or 20 or hundred properties on Instagram that they bought last yesterday. And that just seems so amazing. You know, I feel so bad. I'm just bought one property this year and those people bought hundred. Well, that's the hare. You're the tortoise. But guess what? Like the tortoise is still winning the race in 2023 because you don't know what's going on with those hundred properties. They might own like 5% of those properties. They might be leveraged up to the hill. That might be a syndication and that whole thing falls apart. Like who knows what's going on? The point is don't worry about that. Worry about you, the tortoise, one property at a time. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. And believe it or not, tortoises can move pretty fast. <laughs> they keep moving forward over and over again. And that, that progress compounds and compounds and compounds. And you will wake up five, 10 years from now and have an amazing amount of progress that you can really be proud of and that you can, you can cash in on. You can live the, the life and have that time that we talked about, all portfolio of properties. I love how you said it, it compounds too. Like you buy that one property one year that helps you buy the second property, you know, number two, year, year number two. Then that's maybe you buy two properties, year number three, then maybe you buy two, another two more in year four, maybe you buy three and five and you just, you keep moving because it helps you to buy more properties. And so, yeah, I, I just, I love the the idea of being, um, being the tortoise. It took me, I think seven years, maybe eight years to eventually where I was like, okay, I feel like I have enough. Uh, but with that, 
this is one of the greatest things about owning your own business and your own properties. Like if you have a syndication where you're investing in somebody else's uh, properties and they cash you out in three to five years, well, you do not have this for the longevity of your life and you cannot pass this on to your kids. I can and will literally give these properties to my kids. They're making me plenty of money. Why would I sell them when they keep making me money? I could just give them my kids. Unless I want to sell them, I would move it up to another property or what I would rather do refinance, pull that cash out, buy another property if I wanted to. But the biggest thing is, this is generational wealth. I would literally keep passing this down on and on to my kids. Now, Chad, there's so many things more we can definitely chat about, but I know that you have your book and we can give everybody 10% off. Plus you have your YouTube channel, your podcast. We want to get all that out. Now, how do we get the book 10% off? And I will definitely put it in the description as well. Yeah. So I know Dustin will have a link. So if you're driving or something, you can look at this, but if you go to biggerpockets.com, forward slash small and mighty that and is just written out a n d then that's the that's where you can find the book it's going to be available pretty soon uh, later in august on bigger pack or uh, on uh amazon on audible all those places but the best place to get it right now is on bigger pockets because there's also some bonuses and you can get a 10 percent coupon if you just use the the coupon dustin so d-u-s-t-i-n and you type that in when you're at the checkout and you'll get 10% off the book. And there's also some cool bonuses. Like I, I, it's, a, it's a very thick book, actually. There's a lot, a lot in there, but they w- there's a few things they, they didn't let me include. It would have been too long. For example, I wrote a chapter, a bonus chapter on how to be a small and mighty investor in a changing economy. So in 2023, when interest rates are higher and things are different and it seems like I shouldn't be buying properties, how do I do this? So I specifically talk about how to invest in this economy. And then I also have another cool bonus, whereas uh, I talked a lot about the two-hour work week. And I, I actually have a schedule where I show what my week looks like and where on hour to hour, how I spend my time. And I give an exercise and talk about working it backwards from that schedule as a goal. So like creating your own agenda, basically saying, here's how I want my week to look like. Here's where I want to start my work. Here's the work I want to do, whether I make money or not. And and how real estate might be like a a two to four hour kind of window on a couple one day a week. And so that's another cool bonus. So there's things like that that you get at Bigger Pockets. And of course, you also get the 10% off. And I I hope it's helpful for people. Like I, I wrote this book, Again, I'm, I'm, I'm where you are, Dustin. I don't need to do this kind of thing because this is a moneymaker. I do this thing because I, I'm on a mission. Like I, I just, I really feel strongly that small investors can help our communities. I feel strongly that small investors need a message that's not necessarily 10x, go big, do all that because that that's a message, not a bad message, but that's a message for somebody else. Like the message I'm, I have here is for human beings who have families, who have friends, who have have causes they want to be involved in. And they just want real estate to be a tool to help them do that. And so I see this book as a, as a guide to help you do that. It's, a, it's an A to Z guide. It's got the philosophy that you've heard today, but it's also got how do you buy the properties? How do you finance them? How do you I have seven safe debt rules where you can, um, you know, some of the debt kind of things that I've seen people go out of business for borrowing money. And I've also had problems with like, how do you avoid some of those big problems and still use uh, debt safely? So all of those kind of details are in there. And I hope my hope is that it's going to be helpful for people. And then I, five years from now, I can hear about all of your success stories and, and kind of celebrate with you and give you that virtual high five that we're all uh, moving forward and, and building wealth together. 
Love it. And you also have a really awesome YouTube channel that has lots of practical ways to invest and like it, how to run the numbers. I love your little whiteboard type thing that you're writing. I can't do that stuff. You're great at that. So how can people find you on YouTube and your podcast and anywhere else? Yeah. If you look up Coach Carson, so just like a, you know, a sports coach, Coach Carson on YouTube, if you look up on, on podcast channels, you'll find my stuff. Um, and I, I love to connect with you there. My YouTube channel is, I have a lot of tutorials where I have a little clipboard that I has a whiteboard clipboard and it have like an overhead camera. And I'm just, it's like, you're looking over my shoulder and I'm helping you run the numbers on a deal and trying to keep it simple. Uh, that's the way I like to do it. I just like to like to share and like to help you run the numbers and figure out the, make the really complicated stuff simple. So that's uh, like Dustin, I, I like to share weekly. I have a weekly podcast and I interview people. Sometimes it's just me talking, but yeah, connect with me there, leave a comment on YouTube. I check those and would love to connect with you. Uh, any of you, if you want to check me out there. Awesome. Hey, Chad. I'm super pumped. I love the book and I hope everything goes well with it. And I hope a lot of people get it, but I really appreciate you coming on the show, buddy. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. Look forward to connecting in person as well sometime soon. And that is it for today. Go ahead and get my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777, R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. You can also join my real estate wealth builders group coaching, get all my courses. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next show. See ya. See ya.